0: In Washington, D.C., this is on the ground. As nearly 90 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli forces or Jewish settlers since the start of this year, Palestinians living under apartheid in their homeland and throughout the diaspora celebrated Land Day on March 30th, including here in D.C. Right
1: now, Palestinians are also undergoing extreme violence for wanting to pray in their mosque for wanting to pray in Masjid al-Aqsa. They're still preventing them from entering. They're still allowing settlers to storm in the middle of the mosque where they're meant to pray.
0: And in our conversation with journalist John Jeter, we discuss how coverage of crimes of humanity, such as those in Palestine, stack up against coverage of Donald Trump's indictment.
2: Trump should be indicted for bombing Iraq and killing the Iranian general. That was a war crime. This is basically what they're trying to do is a frame up. They don't want Trump in office.
0: All that and much more coming up. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capitol. I'm Esther Iverum. A Manhattan grand jury voted to indict former President Donald Trump for his role. In a payment to porn star Stormy Daniels during the 2016 election campaign. The New York Times broke the story on Thursday, citing five people with knowledge of the matter. Trump is the first ex-president to face criminal charges. He is seeking the Republican presidential nomination for 2024, and this indictment, or even a conviction in the case, would not prevent him from running. More on the indictment later in the show. Another key legal decision this week is one that Supreme Court observers describe as a, quote unquote, huge blow to the rule of law. Seven of nine justices on the Supreme Court refused to consider the case of Stephen Donziger, an environmental lawyer who won a $9.5 billion case against Chevron in the 1990s on behalf of Ecuadorian people whose community was destroyed by the corporation's illegal dumping of toxic waste in the Amazon. After Donziger won, Chevron charged that he had prevailed by fraudulent means, and then Donziger refused to turn over his confidential electronic devices as part of this new case. The U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York declined to prosecute Donziger for contempt of court, but then a corporate-friendly judge appointed three private attorneys with connections to Chevron to continue the prosecution. As Donziger languished for years under house arrest, and was even disbarred. The two justices dissenting in this Kafkaesque case were conservatives, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. Gorsuch wrote, quote, the Constitution gives courts the power to serve as a neutral adjudicator in a criminal case, not the power to prosecute. Our Constitution does not tolerate what happened here, end quote, he said. Arrest warrants were requested Wednesday for four people, including civil service workers and a private guard, in connection with the deaths of 39 asylum seekers in a fire at a Mexican detention center in Ciudad Juarez. Prosecutors said that none of the guards tried to open the gates so that the jailed men could escape the fire. Witnesses said that the fire started Monday, March 27th, after one of the migrants set fire to a mattress to protest brutal conditions at the facility. The migrant who started the fire is also being charged. In his prepared testimony for a Senate Banking Committee hearing, the chair of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, Martin Grunberg, said that the 10 largest deposit accounts at Silicon Valley Bank held a combined $13.3 13 point three billion dollars well beyond the 250,000 typically covered by FDIC insurance Grunberg said quote at SVP the depositors protected by the guarantee of uninsured depositors included not only small and mid-sized business customers but also customers with very large account balances end quote he said At the other end of the wage scale, as Starbucks workers continue to stage one-day strikes to protest the company's failure to negotiate union contracts in good faith, the company's CEO, Howard Schultz, testified Wednesday in Congress. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders accused Schultz of trying to break the union and also break the spirit of the workers.
3: Do you understand that in America, workers have a fundamental right to join a union and collectively bargain to improve wages, benefits, and working conditions. Do you understand that?
2: I understand and we respect the right of every partner who wears a green
3: apron, whether they choose to join a union or not. Are you aware that NLRB judges have ruled that Starbucks violated federal labor law over 100 times during the past 18 months, far more than any other corporation in America? sir starbucks coffee company unequivocally and let me set the tone for this very early on has not broken the law okay are you aware that on march 1st 2023 an administrative law judge found starbucks guilty of quote egregious and widespread misconduct end quote widespread coercive behavior and showed, quote, a general disregard for the employees' fundamental rights, end quote, in a union organizing campaign that started in Buffalo, New York in 2021. Are you aware of that? I'm aware that those are allegations, and Congress has created a process
2: that we are following, and we're confident that those allegations will be proven false. All
3: right. Mr. Schultz, before answering the following questions, let me remind you that federal law at 18 U.S. Code Section 1001 prohibits knowingly and willfully making any fraudulent statement. I understand that.
0: Sanders says that his committee intends to make clear that in America, we must not have a, quote, two-tiered justice system in which billionaires and large corporations can break the law with impunity while working class people are held accountable for their actions. End quote, he said. Related, a new study by the Institute for Policy Studies says that the federal minimum wage in the United States would be more than $42 an hour today if it rose at the same rate as the average Wall Street bonus over the past four decades. Citing newly released data from the New York State Comptroller, IPS noted that the average Wall Street bonus has increased by more than 1,100% since 1985, not adjusted for inflation. And finally, D.C. anti-apartheid activists are remembering Randall Robinson, founding executive director of TransAfrica, whose organizing efforts here contributed mightily to building the movement that broke South Africa's racist and genocidal apartheid system. He joined the ancestors March 24th at the age of 81 on the Caribbean island of St. Kitts, where he lived for the past two decades. And those are our headlines and happenings after this brief break. Voices from the Palestinian Land Day commemoration here in D.C. Stay with us.
4: I'm a little bit متخبر لساحة فلسطين فالحة مترهاب وحنا ندور عيو بتاع بساطة هم اسمو عشان اليوم الصف زروع يلوب الناس موجود العلم محطوط مربوط الفكرة ان احنا شعب محروم جرب هؤوم بس لا اضطر المزدود بلا ما يكون مفهوم انه محكوم من حكام للدوم عشان اطفالنا تموت واحنا نقول قضاء وقدر بس
5: great march of return in Gaza. If you all remember, that was when individuals were marching to the border demanding to be able to go back home. That's right. It's been 47 years since Palestinians organized strikes, protests, and marches against the Zionist entity's illegal expropriation of thousands of square miles and kilometers of Palestinian land. Its purpose is to honor those who lost their lives fighting for our land and for our right to it since the conception of the settler colonialist ideology of Zionism. It also uplifts the prisoner struggle as every soul imprisoned by Israel was done so unjustly because we all know that laws and military tribunals do not equal ethics and justice. Next will be wonderful speaker from Maryland to Palestine. Please come on. Come on, you guys can do better.
4: Woo.
1: Can I get a Free Palestine!
4: Free Palestine. That's
1: right, free Palestine. So today is land day. Today is the day in 1976 when Palestinians in the occupying entity, I don't like saying the name because it's not legitimate, That's
4: right.
1: but Palestinians living in that area rose up against the land confiscations that were to be taken place in occupied Palestine. They rose up. They stood up. They took a risk to stand up. Because they have full belief and conviction in their cause, in their people, and in their land. Palestinians everywhere embody the land within them. That's why our haptas have the nets of the fishermen in them. That's why they're sown just like our land is farmed. So a is never gonna know a love that an indigenous Palestinian will have to their land. Exactly. They can never know. They can claim to know all they want, but they will never know. Because they know that the truth doesn't stand with them. They know that they are not legitimate holders to their land. We are. The Palestinian people are the rightful owners to their land, and this Land Day and every Land Day, we must remember to rise up and stand strongly like the Palestinian people continue to do. Land Day is more than just today. Every single day, Palestinians are ongoing and illegal colonial military occupation against them. Ongoing theft of their rightful indigenous land. We see this in Masafariata, where the demolition orders and the land confiscations are happening in mass. We see this in Wadi Fukin, a village in Palestine, where settler expansion continues, where they divert sewage from the settlements into the land of the Palestinians.
4: Shame, so that shame. their crops
1: can die. So that they can't live for themselves freely on their land. You want to talk about respect for your land? A settler will never know respect for land.
4: That's
2: right. Mm.
1: They'll never know respect for land because it's not theirs. That's right. You respect what's yours. <laughs> and a Palestinian standing strong, standing firm, looking into the barrel of an AK? They know they're right because they know it's their land. So we, when we stand here today in the middle of D.C., we must stand as strong as the Palestinians do when they're facing the constant threat of demolition and of loss of their homes. In Wadi Fukin, Palestinians are facing not only mass demolitions of their homes, but they're facing resource theft, their water is being confiscated from them, the wells are drying up from the pollution caused by the settlements, there is now an order for a highway to be built, a road to be built in the middle of their land, just like that, written up, doesn't matter that it's illegal, as if international law did anything for the Palestinians, but it doesn't matter. It continues to happen because the occupier continues to act with impunity. But the way we stop it is by standing up and not allowing what is happening to fall on deaf ears. So when we say free Palestine, we mean it and we know that we're not going to let it go. Palestinians will never let it go because we know that we are the rightful owners of our land. And this is also why Palestinians continue to stand in solidarity with oppressed people everywhere. Because we know that this oppression knows no borders, and we know that none of us are free without the freedom of the Palestinian people. So I hope you walk away today with a renewed conviction, with a renewed energy, to remind people what is happening, to stand strongly even when they try to censor you, even when they try to label you anti-Semitic, even when they try to pressure you to keep your mouth shut, open it, wide. Because that is the way that we defeat the oppressor, that is the way that Palestine will be free. I leave you all today with a reminder, a reminder to never let this go. Be annoying about it. Talk about Palestine so much that when you walk by people, they're like, yeah, that's the girl. She keeps talking about Palestine. (laughs) Do it, because that's what sparks conversations. You see these people around here? They're looking at us. They want to know what's going on. Tell them, never let Palestine die on your tongue.
4: Free, free,
1: Palestine! Thank you all so much, and may Palestine be free.
4: Yeah.
1: And me,
5: within our lifetime too. So thank you, Hannah, once again. Again, round of applause, please. I Almost had like the applause is for me, but I know it's not. The next speaker will be from the Diaspora Palante Collective, so please give them a round of applause. Yeah.
6: Hi everyone. Hi! Hey! hey. <laughs> Mabrika, welcome. Thank you for being here tonight. My name is Brianna and I'm part of the Diaspora Palante Collective, a group of Boricuas in the diaspora fighting for the liberation of my country, Borenquen, or so-called Puerto Rico, Bridgeport. We are here today to show our support for the Palesti- Palestinian people and to stand in solidarity with their fight for liberation. I also want to recognize that we are on stolen Piscataway land. We must support all indigenous peoples in their fight for their lands back. To learn more about the Piscataway people and their ongoing struggle, you can go to PiscatawayIndians.com and on Instagram at WeAreDCsFirst. Borinquen and Palestine share a similar history of struggle and resistance. Every single day, Palestinians are murdered while defending their land. Thousands of Boricuas were tortured, imprisoned, and killed fighting for the liberation of our land. Why is land so important? Land is a connection to the earth, and it's a connection to our ancestors and to our culture. In 1898, the Treaty of Paris brought 300 years of Spanish genocide and enslavement of Tajino and African people to an end when it transferred rule of Borinquen to the United States. To this day, Borincan is a colonial outpost of the US. In 1948, the illegitimate settler state of Israel was created prior to decades of British occupying Palestine. Borinquen and Palestine are two examples of European empires transferring stolen, indigenous lands to settler colonial nations. The same imperialist empire that destroys my country supports and arms Israelis to destroy Palestine. For example, the bombs that were tested in Vieques, a small island that is part of the archipelago of Borinquen, by the U.S. military were later dropped in Palestine. Many Boricuas, both individuals and organizations, have demonstrated our support for the liberation of Palestine. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center in Chicago, founded by my comrade Jose Rivera, is one organization that has been connecting the struggle of Boricuas and Palestinians for years now. Jose Rivera's brother, Oscar Lopez Rivera, is a Boricua political prisoner who was imprisoned for 35 years, most of which he was forced to spend in solitary confinement. Boricua political prisoners were tortured, imprisoned, and murdered by the U.S. government because they fought for a free born again. The Israeli settler state does the same to Palestinians, including Palestinian children who fight for their dignity in a free Palestine. The denial and control over our land and essential resources is a common struggle that we face. The Israeli settler state controls access to land, food, water, electricity, and much more, as comrades have named before. In a U.S.-based financial oversight board named La Junta controls our economy. Loma, a U.S.-Canadian corporation, owns our electrical grid and is responsible for the deaths of Boricuas due to constant power outages affecting hospitals and critical infrastructure. Right now, Israeli settlers are displacing Palestinians from their ancestral lands in a similar way that U.S. settlers are displacing Boricuas. The U.S. has used eugenics in Borinquen, sterilizing one-third of our women during a program named La Operacion, the operation. The U.S. displaced approximately 450,000 Boricuas during a decade-long depopulation program called Operation Bootstrap. Today, laws like Act 60 encourage U.S. corporations and businesses to gentrify Borinquen, further impoverishing and displacing us. Right. There would be no Boricua or Palestinian diaspora if imperialism and colonization did not exist. We have been forcefully displaced to this empire, the same one that has genocided our people and stolen our lands. Therefore, it is up to us, residing in the heart of the U.S. empire, to weaken its death grip on the world from within and to fight for a liberated world together. The Diaspora Palante Collective is in full support of the Palestinian people and the struggle to regain their land by any means necessary. For more information about TPC, check out our website at diasporapalantecollective.org. From the river to the sea, from the river to the sea, from
1: the river to the sea, from the the sky will be free. Que viva Borinquen Libre, que viva! My name is Hannah, I'm the co-chair of Maryland to Palestine, and today we're standing in solidarity, not only as Palestinians, but as all oppressed people around the world to commemorate Land Day. Land Day is a very important day for Palestinians. We call it Yom al-Art, which is the Arabic translation of it. And essentially in uh, March 30th of 1976, Palestinians in what the occupier calls Israel, living in that area, rose up in protest against land confiscation that was to be had in occupied Palestine. They rose up in mass, they had a national strike, and they stood in solidarity with Palestinians on a different plot of that land and I think that just shows how Palestinians time and time again even through the efforts that are made to try to separate them will always stand firmly with one another in honor and in celebration and in defense of our land.
0: Now this land day is happening when there continue to be these pogroms really these mass uh, attacks on towns uh, across Palestine and so you mentioned a particular village, and I wanted you to tell me the name of that village and to explain to people what you were speaking about.
6: Absolutely.
1: So the village of Wadi Fukin in Palestine is a small village outside of Jerusalem, and Palestinians in that village are experiencing confiscation of their land en masse. Right now, the Palestinians living there are under consistent threat of home demolition, and they're also under the consistent threat of land theft. There is settlements surrounding that area of land, and what the occupier has done is he has put all of the sewage from the settlements and turned it towards the land in Wadi Fukin. So not only are Palestinians experiencing the constant threat of land theft, they're also experiencing the constant threat of pollution and of the dissemination and the complete like terror, I guess, of having their land ruined. because of what the settler colonial state is doing. And so what they're trying to do right now is to raise awareness about what is going on. And the latest order that came out in January was that about 50 acres of land was to be taken from Palestinians in Wadi Fukin, just like that. The order was put out, And now all of these Palestinians are under the constant threat of their land being taken from them. Right. And
0: you also said that they are putting a, a highway through there or something.
1: Yes. So right now what they're trying to do is because there are so many settlements that have been created. And I want to make clear to the people who are listening that settlements are when an outside settler, someone who's not. An indigenous person to the land will come in and claim the land as their own so they build homes on top of palestinian land so there are settlements or multiple areas where these settlers have come to gather and stay Mm -hmm. wrongfully around wadi fukin and because they're in different areas they want to build a highway a road in the middle of the village to connect the settlements. Okay. And so that's what Palestinians in Wadi Foukin right now are facing, are, you know, the occupying soldiers coming in to try to build this new highway and road in the middle of their land. Right. Now,
0: I know that there have been these attacks on Janine. Uh, they also they refer to that as a refugee camp, right? Yeah. There have been attacks, I mean, there's so many different places. So is this town that you're talking about where they had destroyed the school several times and then they put up a tent and then they destroyed the tent. It was just like, it's just been so many places that have been under this terror that, um, you know, that we've been able to see because people are sharing the video and people are telling the story. Are people in Palestine celebrating land day today? Yeah, people in
1: Palestine are definitely gathering to commemorate it. Um, but they're also under the you know they're living under occupation, so they're also dealing with the violence and the terror imposed upon them by Israeli occupation forces. And today's or this month is the month of Ramadan. So right now Palestinians are also undergoing extreme violence for wanting to pray in their mosque, for wanting to pray in Masjid al-Aqsa. Are they doing that? They're still and they're, into the mosque. they're still they're still removing them. They're still preventing them from entering. They're still allowing settlers to storm in the middle of the mosque where they're meant to pray. And so hu- there are hundreds of Palestinians who are unable to enter Masjid al-Aqsa to pray in the third holiest site in Islam for Palestinian Muslims. And they're unable to go uh, because of the terror of this occupation.
0: Wow. Okay. So I keep, you know, thinking that, you know, there needs to be a just a mass movement around the, you know, the BDS movement or whatever what Americans can do. I'm just not, I mean, that seems to me the main thing that we can do is to have some type of boycott, divestment, and sanctions against the apartheid regime, just like we did against South Africa. But what do you want to tell all the people who who are listening, who want to be in solidarity, but feel like you know, there's almost they feel hope, helpless because our government. Is funding Israel to the tune of three point eight billion a year, right? so you know what what would what do you want to tell Americans that are funding the apartheid state
1: Americans have are in a very
0: unique situation because a lot of people
1: like to think that what is happening is too far away and they don't have a direct connection to it. But I say very clearly right now that every single American has a stake in what is happening to the Palestinian people. A direct stake because of how our taxpaying dollars are being used to fund this illegal occupation. And there have been images coming out of Palestine where the bullets that are used against them say made in the USA on them. So mm. that's how deep this runs. Mm. Mm. So I want to let everybody know, to keep amplifying the voices of Palestinians on the ground, there's a mass effort to censor Palestinians on social media, online, and that is the way that we get our message out because mass media is not gonna cover it. But we know that journalists who are committed to truth will. And we know that if we keep getting the message out there on social media, more people will hear about it. That's number one. Number two, y'all need to talk to your Congress and the way to do that is to gather in groups and organize. Pick in one organization that is committed to Palestinian liberation, follow their efforts, sign the petition, follow them on social media, sign up for their listserv, so that you are committed and you are engaged when we have these calls for mass action to take place.
0: Right. Okay, well, I'm out here at DuPont Circle with Hannah from Maryland to Palestine. Okay, thank you, Hannah. Yeah, thank you. Those were voices from the Palestinian Land Day commemoration held March 30th, 2023 here in DC. This is on the ground. I'm Esther Aviram. Stay with us. This is On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. And I'm happy to be joined again by our media critic, John Jeter, a former Foreign Bureau Chief of the Washington Post, two-time Pulitzer finalist and co-founder and creator of the media platform, Black Republic Media. Welcome back to the show, John.
2: Thank you very much, Esther.
0: Well, I had this long list of media topics that we needed to catch up on. We hadn't talked in a while the investigation by Seymour Hirsch into the explosion of the Nord Stream pipeline, blaming the Biden administration, pointing the finger at, you know, all these cast of characters like, you know, Anthony Blinken and Victoria Newland and Jake Sullivan and and then the the bank failures and and then also two kind of twin instances of of apartheid being reported on. Certainly the apartheid state of Israel and the uh, pogroms happening against the Palestinian people. And then also in Jackson, Mississippi, with these proposals to create a separate judiciary or, you know, a separate uh, setup that is excluding the Black majority in that city. And then on top of all that, on Thursday, of course, former President Donald J. Trump is reportedly indicted, uh, that a grand jury in New York reportedly indicts Trump on charges related to the 2016 campaign and his, uh, I guess, money laundering or something to do with payments to Stormy Daniels, the uh, uh, former porn star. So I have to say that, you know, when I walked in the house Thursday night after and I and, you know, I looked at the TV and it was like, okay look at this breaking news. And it's about the Trump indictment. I had just come from a Palestinian land day protest at DuPont Circle in northwest D.C., where you had uh, Palestinian youth activists or I just I should say activists doing their land day protests. And this is a very important commemoration for the Palestinian people in terms of their land and the, what has become, you know, just official policy of ethnic cleansing in Israel or in occupied Palestine. And uh, so I was I was out there uh, hearing those um uh, comments, speeches, uh, chants, and everybody—you know—just really standing up for uh, free Palestine and all the issues related to it. Right, apartheid, right. colonialism, imperialism, right. all the things connected to it, the connections between them, and what is happening to African Americans and and people at the border and people from South America and. There was a woman there from Puerto Rico, you know, drawing parallels. So I come home from all of that and I see this indictment over what are, I think, going to be minor charges. And I'm just not seeing it in, you know, I understand the whole thing about accountability, but I'm trying to figure out, you know, I understand the news world, but I also understand, the alternative news world that I that I live in, and I'm trying to understand the place and the importance of this particular indictment. It's not for January 6th. It's not for the basic um, the charges out of Georgia, which we we all heard and saw in a way. We all we, we all saw we all heard the phone call. You know we we've seen much more serious things swirling around Trump. Uh, for this to be the first thing out of the gate, I'm trying to understand where to put it in my media
2: universe. Yeah, I think it, I think it belongs in the dustbin of history already. <laughs> I, I don't. It's not serious in the scheme of things. I mean, Trump should be indicted for bombing Iraq and killing the Iranian general. That was a war crime. Mm-hmm. This is basically what they're trying to do. Is is a frame up, very much like what they did to John Edwards. Was that back in 2000? I can't remember what year that was, but after the election. And it's for the same reason, even though they come at it from very different perspectives. Trump, they don't want Trump in office. And by they, I mean the political class. And it's not Democrats, or Republicans, it's both classes. Neither class wants Trump in office because Trump doesn't turn on the money spigot for them the way that Biden is with this Ukrainian war, right, which is a boondoggle for the arms industry and for the gas industry. You know, the United States clearly blew up the Nord Stream pipeline so we could sell more costly natural gas to Germany specifically, but uh, Western Europe, generally speaking. And Trump is not as invested in that kind of militarism and speculation. He's a capitalist, no doubt, and he's got bad intentions, there's no doubt. But their plan, Trump is is not necessarily a signatory to. The same thing was true with John Edwards. Or at least they suspected that was true with John Edwards.
0: But wait a and- minute, let me push back a little bit. I mean, like you said, he assassinated Soleimani. He under him the the oil and gas industry was you know ready to take off. He did so much damage to the environmental community. He also asked for record uh, defense budgets or so called de- defense budgets. We know they're offensive <laughs> budgets, right? But he did try to get us out of Afghanistan. He did try to have some rapprochement with North Korea. And when he tried to, like, for example, in Syria, they made sure that he didn't, that he couldn't end the, and then he said, well, you know, if we're going to be there, we might as well take the oil. And they're continuing to take the oil. They're continuing to steal their oil and their wheat. And so, anyway. And
2: And when they complain, we kill them. When they complain, we kill them. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah, and, really.
0: and then the policies, the obscene policies that he initiated against Cuba, putting them uh, back on the state sponsors of terrorism lists and uh, initiating, I think, 242 new sanctions or uh, unilateral actions against uh, Cuba, you know, to hurt their economy, hurt the people there. <laughs> so these are things that are still in place, actually. And you would think that since they're on two separate parties, that <laughs> right. the Biden administration would have repealed so many of them. But anyway, there's a lot there. We have a big ball of yarn, <laughs> big ball of media with all these issues tied up in it. But so I hear you to say that really this is going to wind up being kind of a a nothing burger in the in the words of uh, van um, van
2: jones <laughs> no, no I, I don't actually i don't think that Esther. i think it's a very big deal for, from this perspective i think this is going to galvanize trump's base i think if trump is reelected in 18 months i think this will be the main reason why this is going to galvanize his base because i think you know even though trump is no hero he certainly again he has bad intentions right but i think his base is going to see through this why in the world And, you know, Seymour Hersh's piece, which he points out, who's most likely responsible for this act of state terrorism, bombing the Nord Stream pipeline, blowing that up, you know, the media might not pay much attention to it, but the rest of the world does. It will galvanize Trump's base. And Trump, you know, is, from what I understand, raising money off of this indictment, has been raising money off this indictment furiously for the last few weeks, right? And I just think the Democrats, but also the Republicans to a large extent, Are tone-deaf, they don't quite understand how strange they are from the daily lives of most Americans, be they Republicans or Democrats, black or white, men or women, uh, trans or cis, whatever the the terminology is. I don't think they understand. And so you see, and you see this all over the West too, right? You see these people in Nashville, what I saw, a very interracial crowd who stormed the Capitol demanding gun control uh uh you know to stop the killings that we we've, we've seen i think there's been like a 100 and something uh just this year of shootings this is ridiculous and we don't have a democracy right it's 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 the same in france where you see millions of people out in the streets protesting uh macron's proposal uh, law at this point to to raise the retirement age why is it the people demand one thing and get something very different see this is not a bipartisan this is not a bipartisan issue or partisan issues. This is something that I think has to do with our democracy and Trump, who is no hero, right? But they're making him a martyr to a group of people who are ill-informed, uneducated, racist, and selfish. And Trump is becoming their martyr and the Democrats are helping him.
0: Yeah. When you said this is not a democracy, it reminds me of the other really big story this week where you have the Supreme Court failing to take the case of Stephen Donziger, to hear the case of Stephen Donziger, which means that they are upholding the idea that this lower court judge could hire an attorney uh, to be the prosecutor, to prosecute Donziger. And this attorney was actually affiliated with, if not employed by, the corporation Chevron that was his opposition that had brought these charges against him. So what in the world? I mean, and it it turns out that the conservative justices, Gorsuch and maybe even Thomas, were the ones that said, no, this does not fly. What happened here is not allowed under the Constitution. And the liberal justices uh, let it go. So, we have uh, Bernie Sanders grilling the CEO of Starbucks for basically for months now. May, I hope it's not even years at this point for stonewalling against yeah. the workers trying to form a union. They have voted for a union, and this corporation is allowed to flout the law, basic labor laws, to not enter into labor negotiations in good faith with the workers. And so, time and time again, you see that these, uh, corporations, these, uh, yeah, it's really the corporations are allowed to flout the law and get away with it. And so for some people, they, they see this indictment or, or of Trump is, is being, you know, a little, a little bit of justice to make a rich, powerful person who's never had to pay the consequences face the music. Okay. Um, I wish it was the Georgia case. I wish it was a case that seemed to be more substantial. But I have to say that. But when you talk about this not being a democracy, I mean, there's just so many, so much news in the week that is just so proving that fact for us that people are left to wonder what can we do in our everyday lives to, you know, fight fight against this um, the the kind of dictatorship of corporations. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, they they've got us over a barrel, and we, you know, and we've helped them quite a bit over the last 40, 45 years. You know, we, we we've got a situation where when capital confronts labor, when when the capitalists confront the working class, and I know this sounds communist, uh, play it as it lays. Capital always wins in this country. Look at these train de- this derailment in Ohio. That's a direct result of. Biden's executive order ordering the railroad workers back to strike to work these unsafe and these unsafe working conditions, uh, poor staffing, poor pay, or at least certainly poor pay for the the, the hazards that they that they take on. This is fascism, right? I, you know, I don't know what the academics would call it, but it feels like fascism. Think about the banking industry, right? Think about the Federal Reserve, what they're doing right now. They are trying to, by their own words, right they are trying to reduce wages in order to cut inflation. Wages didn't cause this inflation. What caused this inflation was pumping all this money into the, the economy, mostly into the pockets of the wealthy, the banks, uh, big corporations, because people didn't have enough buying power to keep the economy afloat. So this is fashion. This is what fashion looks like. Or at the very least, it will do until the real fascism gets here, right? It is certainly a collusion between the government, the state, and the and the corporations, and we're feeling the effects. The big problem, though, I would say the big issue for the United States, different from what I think is true, is the case in France, even in the UK, although they're very close to us, I think, in a lot of ways, is that we don't have a functioning media to at least tell us this is what's going on, uh, this is what's happening to us. All they talk about is Donald Trump. And I, I loathe Donald Trump with the best of I've never liked Donald Trump. But I hate Joe Biden just as much. And Joe Biden is just as much of a fascist as Donald Trump is. But they won't tell you these things. They won't tell you, you know, why did they bail out uh, Silicon Valley Bank? Uh, what happened to capitalism? What happened to the free market? I thought, you know, if, uh, if a company fails, they're just supposed to fail. Why, why is it that we let—and this bank, by the way— was most of the deposits were over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, meaning that they were the very rich tech industry tech titans, uh, and they were investing in these more risky gambits out in Silicon Valley these tech startups and things like that. What? What? Why is there? Were they too big to fail? Right. So you know we don't we don't raise these questions in our media. They don't raise these questions, and so we just you know I've not seen anyone discuss. The Nord Stream pipeline. I mean, this is Seymour Hersh, who I I would say, uh, far more than Bob Woodward, is the greatest journalism of his generation, the, the greatest investigative journalist of his generation. Why is no one at least interrogating his reportage, which shows very clearly that the United States is most likely responsible for blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline? It's a very precarious situation. The worst I've ever seen in my 58 years. And one, that almost can't end well right at this point. It just is a matter of how bad it's going to be. And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that.
0: Well, when it comes to reporting on anything related to the proxy war against Russia in Ukraine, uh, you can you can pretty much be assured that we are not getting the the true facts on the ground, you know, here and from Western corporate media. Um, but I wanted to uh, switch to uh Palestine, go back to that because of what you said about Joe Biden. Because you know, we had several officials in the Biden administration go to Palestine uh to stand side by side with this far right government of uh Benjamin Netanyahu. And I I take to heart the the sentiments of people, of reporters, like at Electronic Intifada, who correct us all and say that, you know, this isn't a new far-right government. The governments have always been this (laughs) far-right. It's just that the face of the government has changed to be far-right. But (laughs) the sentiments and the actions of these government, these regimes in Israel have always been this way. So I bring that up because when you talk about feeling the same way about Biden that you do about Trump, it just reminds me that every time they say we're going to stand by this apartheid regime, this, you know, racist, Zionist regime, it just means that, and every time they call it a democracy, it means that they believe that the Palestinian Palestinians aren't people, you know, because you can't have democracy under an apartheid regime. Under this settler Zionist colony, so I just thought it's really important to end on that. As people in Palestine and throughout the Muslim world are celebrating Ramadan, yet uh, Israeli forces just murdered a Palestinian man. You know, here at the at the start of Ramadan, there have been at least eighty-five to eighty-six Palestinians killed by Israeli forces or these settlers who are being allowed to just go into villages and create chaos, these pogroms against Palestinians and destroy entire communities while the Israeli forces stand by. And if a Palestinian does fight back, they're the ones that are shot and killed and beaten. And it's the most uh, outrageous, um, obvious scene of the brutality of apartheid and fascism that, I you know I, I'm confronted with on a regular basis yet it's just ignored it's like the Palestinian people are rendered to be unpeople yeah, you know yeah. like but, like their yeah. lives don't yeah like that's their actually, lives don't matter
2: that's actually I think the term that they used the, the Obama administration when they were lobbying the United Nations not to recognize Palestine as a sovereign state if you remember that I don't remember the year 2013 maybe uh, when the Palestinians made that effort to be recognized at the UN as a sovereign state, uh, they actually referred to them as an unpeople, at least in backdoor negotiations. But no, I, I just think it's, you know, it's so, the Palestinian issue is something that in the United States is so obscured. It's almost never mentioned yet for the rest of the world. It's a big deal. It is, and I mean that everywhere, you know, everywhere I've lived and been to, Argentina, South Africa, Angola, Brazil. This issue is huge. And the reason it's huge is because it is a illegal and immoral occupa- land occupation, right? It is land theft and dispossession of people, of people's land and lands and homes, right? Ancestral lands and homes. Just because these settlers, and it's not about Ju- Judaism, it's about Zionism, right? And let me leave you with this, Esther. I think it's so interesting, too, to think about. Now, of course, U.S. foreign policy has been pro-Israel since basically the Truman administration, I believe. but now we have the first vice, uh, the first president and vice president who have ever openly declared that they are Zionists. Think about that for a second. They have openly publicly declared we are Zionists right? Well, aren't you sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States to be to be faithful to the people of the United States? Can you be faithful to another country, a foreign country and to your own as well? But there's no, nothing is raised but they say this, with impunity, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I just—it's—it's uh—it's really hard to sort of understand why the American people allow their elected officials, their politicians, to get away with this. I, I just—it's bewildering to me. Well, we certainly
0: have uh, covered a lot of ground in terms of the stories that corporate media are covering and not covering the stories that alternative media are covering and not covering. And I have to give a shout out. Let's end it with giving shout outs to the people who we've been following and who we want to give some big ups to. I know we both want to give big ups to Ben Norton at Geopolitical Economy Report.
2: Yes. Uh, yes.
0: he has had several reports that I, things that I wouldn't know about if I didn't check out Ben Norton's work. And if people are not familiar, he's, you can check him out on YouTube. You can check him out on, um, podcasts and I guess a lot of the other platforms also like, you know, the other video platforms that are out there. Cause he's on all of those. And as you know, I w I wouldn't know about.
2: Just especially so many things in
0: Central and South America I wouldn't know about. And um, so big ups to Ben.
2: Right, right. And the other journalist I would point out, particularly when it comes to foreign affairs, we have a lot of really good people uh, locally like uh, Jackie Lukman and Sean Blackman. But the person I really have turned to a lot for information about the Ukrainian war, but also uh, what's happening in the Middle East is Medhurst, oh, wow. Richard Medhurst. Richard Medhurst, okay. that's what I mean. Uh, who's on YouTube. He's good. He's really, he's really explained a lot to me when it comes to Syria, Iraq, Ukraine, the West, uh, particularly in Europe. He's really good.
0: Okay. Well, that's somebody, somebody new to check out, add to my daily podcast diet. Podcasts are very convenient because I can do other things while I listen and learn things that, you know, corporate media is not teaching me. But anyway, we're running out of time. Uh, I want to thank uh, John for joining me today. John Jeter is our media critic. As I said, he's a former Foreign Bureau Chief for the Washington Post, two-time Pulitzer finalist, and co-founder and creator of the new media platform, Black Republic Media. And I didn't say Black Republican, John. Right, right, right.
2: <laughs> yes. please, please get that
0: straight. <laughs> BlackRepublicMedia.com.
2: Yeah. Thank you for joining me, John. Thank you for having me, Esther.
0: And that's it for today's show. This is On the Ground, OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. We're on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and on all your podcast platforms, at On the Ground with Esther Ivarum. Our website and archive of all of our shows is onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and I also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Iverum. Special thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon.com at On the Ground Show. The music we played this hour included The Third Generation by D. Mar and Palestine by Carlos Vivanca. Our theme music for the show is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Everam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. On the Ground is a totally listener-sponsored, supported show, and we are in urgent need of your support. If you rely on the show, if you listen to the show, you come to look forward to what we are able to offer every week, please support us on Patreon at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash on the ground show. And you can also give on our website through PayPal or other means if you want to send a check all that information is there but please please support us i want to thank our supporters on patreon so much and for those who are already supporting if you can tell a friend who you know would love to sign up we need the support patreon.com forward slash on the ground show or go to on the ground thank you